Good afternoon. It's nice to uh, see a little bit of sunshine and still those rain drops dripping on my head. Oh, man, I'm just going to quote stuff all day. Okay, it, this is an amazing passage we get to be in today um, because it holds one of the biggest promises um, I think the scripture has for us that has, in a lot of ways, been massively misunderstood. Let's look at verse 7 again. It says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I mean, think about that. Ask for whatever comes to your mind. But how many times have we asked for something? Have we prayed for something? Have we made our requests known to God? And the answer is, is not what we want it to be. When um, Darianne was a, a little girl, um, she uh, was diagnosed with uh, something called polycystic kidney disease, or PKD. So in essence, what it is is thousands and thousands of little cysts all along her, uh, her kidney. If God um, were not to heal it, she'll need a kidney transplant at some point. Uh, which is wonderful that we have the same blood type. So check box number one that she may get my kidney. We'll see what happens. So, but when she was a little girl, uh, she went to a healing prayer service, okay? And at the time, it was a well-known uh, healing, traveling speaker person. And they would come in, pray over the person, and they, they declared that at that point, Darian was healed. So for years... She was walking, living as if she was healed. She, that because you look at this verse, right? Ask whatever you wish. I ask and I wish it. Shouldn't I get it? But then when she was 16, going in for a doctor appointment, found out that not only was the, um, the cyst still present, but they actually had grown. Um, so what do you do in that moment? You see a verse like this. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. And then you get the results of that when we, our reality does not meet our expectations. When we, and some people would say, well, you just have to build your faith. You have to have more faith. You just have to abide more. But what is this passage actually talking about? And how, what do we do with all the disappointment that is in our life and the disappointment you and I have experienced in the last 18 months? Because here's the thing, disappointment is a consistent part of life, right? For some of you, it may be the family member that strayed away from the faith, that you've begged God to show up, but up to this point to no avail. It may be the sick friend that you've prayed for to get better. You may have disappointments of hopes and dreams that you've longed for, but unfortunately, they are long gone. What does it mean to be nourished, to abide in Jesus, when our reality does not meet the expectations of what we want? We are in the middle of the series, and as you, you're looking, we're looking in the booklets. We're learning what it means to be nourished by Jesus, to be filled by him, to learn what it means to abide in him. And so during this, we're looking at John chapter 15, and we're wanting to focus on four different barriers to being nourished. Last week, we looked at busyness. Uh, the busyness of our hearts and our lives get in the way. And so today, 
one of the things that is a primary barrier that all of us have to experience at some point in our life to being nourished and filled by Jesus is disappointment. And so when we experience disappointment, we can't fight or flee, but we need to face that disappointment head on in order to receive the love of the Father. So here we are, John chapter 15, 7. Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's unpacking, um, he's in the middle of talking about the work of the Spirit. And he gives the final I am statements of his gospel. And so he, he's building off of things that he's talked about elsewhere. And so what does it mean, really mean when he, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish? In John chapter 14, verse 14, he adds a qualifier to it to make it a little bit more explicit. He says this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, he says this, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. So John elsewhere unpacks what it means to ask whatever you want. To ask in the name of Jesus is to ask according to the divine will of God. When what we ask lines up with that, that is what God answers and gives us. Sometimes God in his sovereignty and will uses our very prayers to determine his will. This is where it's really paradoxical. A lot of us were like, oh, I don't really have to pray because, well, God is sovereign. He knows everything. I don't really have to worry about it. But actually, God uses our very prayers to accomplish what he wants. Listen to how Keller, Tim Keller, like, captures this. He says, God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you want them to be answered if you knew everything he knew. Let me say that again. God always answers your prayers precisely the way you want them to be answered if you knew everything he knew. Ask whatever you wish. Ask in accordance to my will. Ask in my name. And when we ask in ways that are in line with what he wants, whatever we wish that's in alignment with God's heart, he will answer. And a lot of times I think it's funny that we say God answered my prayers. When do we usually say something like that, right? Usually when he answers yes. Like, yeah, God answered my prayers. I prayed for this, and he, he showed up. He, he did what I asked. He, he, it was a marvelous experience, right? But that isn't the only way God answers our prayers. Like, ask whatever you wish, and he, it, will, it will be done for you. But sometimes it's not yes. Sometimes the answers to, that God has when we pray is not yet. It's not yet. Uh, when we were ki uh, our kids, they're still growing up, and we very, very intentionally knew that there would be conversations that we're going to be having with them later on in their teenage years that we're going to build a foundation on right now. So we would tell them, oftentimes they would ask us something, and we would say, hey, there are certain things that God has given to us as good gifts that are to be enjoyed at certain times. So... We're trying to teach them delayed gratification. Like, you know, yeah, that's a good thing, but now's not the right time for that. When, as we've been having the sex conversations, add the S on there because there should be more than one, we've been building off of that. 
We've been saying, hey, that's a good gift that God has given us, but it's to be experienced in a husband-wife covenant relationship. Anything outside of it is dangerous. That's a gift given. So if Judah was like, can I have that? It's like, well, the answer is not yet. It's not no. It's no, but it's really not yet. If God would give you at that time. John Lang, in his commentary, he says this, God sometimes answers the substance of our prayers best by denying their form. And I will add the word, or timing. Sometimes God answers our prayers best by not giving us what we want when we want it. And then sometimes God answers our prayers, not by yes, not by not yet, but by no. Like, in his sovereignty, in his will, in his goodness, he has chosen to say no to that prayer. And we're usually not disappointed with the first answer, right? God answers yes, great. Like, thankful to God. That's wonderful. Disappointment typically shows up or begins to rear its ugly head when we get the answers not yet or no. This reminds me of Habakkuk. I mean, of course, you've probably said that sentence in the last week, right? Of course, things remind you of the prophet Habakkuk because it's such a prevalence. Well, he's, Habakkuk is given this vision of God's glory, okay? So if I can characterize God's glory, glory is his visible splendor. It's his magnificence, his wonder visibly seen and known. As we get to Advent, we're going to see that his visible splendor, his glory, is seen in the baby Jesus. It's seen in God the Son walking this earth. So he's given this amazing, amazing picture. I mean, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I mean, if you've been hanging out with Soma any period of time, you've probably heard us talk a lot about that one. That's the picture of gospel saturation, where everybody will have a daily encounter with Jesus through his people. And he does that by the church. So every single person in Federal Way, Northeast Tacoma, will experience God's visible splendor because his visible splendor is seen in the church. That's magnificent. That's wonderful. Habakkuk sees this. And this is how he closes his book. Ready? He says this in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. The vision of what he sees is very, very different from the picture of what he sees all around him. The vision of what he wants to see, what he's longing for, is God's visible splendor to be experienced throughout the earth. But he looks around, and the fig tree, it's not fruitful. The vine, there's no grapes. The olives are failing. All the economic structure around them, the, the picture of God's blessing, everything he sees does not line up with, line up with what he's been longing for. That is disappointment. That is longing for something and not seeing it. So we all have to deal with it. So how do we often deal with the disappointment when God answers our prayers by not yet or no? Some of us, I believe, try to fight it. This is the religious spirit of do more, try harder. Some of us would say, I need to do more. The, their religious spirit perks its ugly head. 
head, if I'm not getting what I want, that must mean I'm not abiding. I must not have enough faith. And if I'm not, does that mean that I'm going to be thrown away like a branch, in, like it says in verse 5? If my life is not fruitful the way that I think it should be fruitful, in whatever picture of fruitfulness I have, does that mean that I'm doing something wrong? Well, it must be, so I'm going to do more and try harder. A, a caveat to this, I believe, is those that try to control the situation. What happens if you don't get your prayers answered? Oftentimes we start to control it. I don't, so I don't want to be disappointed anymore. So obviously God is not doing a great job of being in control of this situation. God, I got this. I'll take it. You start to say things to manipulate the situation. You start bending the truth just enough to get your way. You start giving up some of the Christian ethics that we have because you start to control that's the fight response. Some of us, and I think this is happening a lot, especially in my generation that I'm seeing, is they're fleeing from everything. People that no longer, in fleeing, I'll use the term deconstruct. People that have often associated their disappointments with the people of God themselves. They see how the God is supposed to be. They have this wonderful picture of what God is like, and they have this understanding of what the church is supposed to be like, and then they see the actual thing, and they've been hurt. And this disappointment leads them to either deconstructing or starting to parse about not just the, um, the faith system itself. I'll use the term evangelicalism. They don't just start throwing that away. They start deconstructing to the point where they actually throw their faith completely away. I have many friends that have been disappointed by the people of God. And not only say, oh, I'm going to go find another faith tradition. I'm just going to leave the faith altogether. Their disappointment leads them to deconstruct. It leads them to the, the point where the gospel is no longer powerful. So rather than fighting to control the situation or fleeing the faith, what I want to do is I want us, how do we deal with disappointment in a way that we can actually be nourished by Jesus. And we, because we have to face this head on. Um, in the last 18 months has probably been, for me, some of the absolute, absolute most disappointing I've experienced. Like, I, I like Habakkuk, get this picture. I like this, I see it. And then I look around, and, I'm, and yeah, it's not there. Right? Um, full vulnerability. Like, people still, when people move away, it's hard. Not because I'm, I'm, there's a part of me that's so tied into what I desire that I have a hard time separating. And there's been disappointment to the point where I've, um, I had what uh, some friends of mine would call emotional flooding. So I talked about this in January last year where I had this time where all of a sudden, like, I was the saddest I've ever been in the most, non, in the most non-tragic uh, time ever. Um, but then there's been times when it's not, that's increased, where more flooding's taken place. And what happens in that moment for me is that that part of my brain, when I'm emotionally flooded, that, that is logical and sequential, like physiologically that shuts off and the part of my brain that is um, more instinctive more emotional, more bound up in my story, more impulsive. 
And so when my desires are not fulfilled, I have this flooding that often takes place. And it's taken me sometimes hours, even to the point of like a day or two, where I'm like, I, I, I'm just, all I can see, I can't see anything but the sadness and the disappointment that I'm feeling. I, nothing. Nothing that Darianne can say. Nothing that anybody can say. It's just that level of deep, deep disappointment. And then by God's grace, I'm able to get out of it. And then I have to say, okay, now what do I do with that? What do you do with that disappointment? What do, when you feel that, when you experience that, when you realize that, that there's a part of your very being that has been that affected by life. You're disappointed. How can you be nourished by Jesus in that? I think to face it head on, and this is what I'm experiencing and what I believe this nourishment will begin to lead us to, is to three different practices. Paul lays these out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Right after in verse 14, he says, encourage the faint-hearted. He says this in verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what can we do in the midst of disappointment? The first thing, verse 18, it's give thanks. This is the practice of gratitude. Throughout the scriptures, God calls us to thankfulness. It's a command over and over again. This takes our focus off of the disappointment and puts it on God himself. It takes us off of what God has chosen not to give us. And gratitude puts us in a place where it focuses on what God has chosen to give us. And science is just starting to show the full benefits of what God has commanded for thousands of years, all the way in scripture. A 2003 study published found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Recognizing all that you have to be thankful for, even in, during the worst times, fosters resilience. Why is that important? Because you don't just get disappointed once in life. There's multiple opportunities for that. You and I need resilience. Robert Emmons, a leading gratitude researcher, has conducted multiple studies on the link between gratitude and well-being. His research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. When practiced daily, gratitude has the same effect as antidepressant medication. It observed... It is observed to boost serotonin and dopamine, which are the neurotransmitters responsible for happiness. And a study revealed an impressive 23% reduction of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, hormone in participants who were asked to cultivate feelings of oppression. Our gratitude affects our physical bodies. And so when we express gratitude, when we rejoice, when we give thanks, to God, it's changing our very being. So rather than just continue to focus on it, part of what we need to do to face our disappointment is to put our emphasis on what God has chosen to give us, and that will build us the resilience so that we can face this disappointment head on. Which leads us to number two, verse 17. It says, pray without ceasing. I'm going to focus on one aspect of prayer, and I'm going to say the prayer of lament. The prayer of lament. Grieving is sadness over what is lost. Lament is an, another element where it's a recognition of something wrong. Rather than causing this to go away from God, it's 
bringing the disappointments and the frustration to God himself. Bill Clem says this, lament is not whining. It's more expressing discomfort, displeasure, or dissatisfaction. This is an angsty, hurting heart with a low-grade anger that feels a conviction that something is not right and that God can't be right with this either. It is bringing the unkingdom of a situation to the king. We need to be able to foster an emo- enough of a full, robust, healthy relationship with God that we can express all of our emotions to him. We can come to him with the deepest, darkest frustrations and, and out of a resilient place of gratitude, we can say, God, I don't like this. I think this is wrong. What are you going to do about it? When you look at the scriptures in the Psalms specifically, the lament Psalms are all throughout it. God, are you going to do something about this? It's not whining. It's whining when you go to somebody else. But when you go to the source himself, it's a, a place where he can actually nourish that place. But he can't bring healing if you don't bring it to him. And then lastly, verse 16, what does it say? Rejoice always. What I'll say of rejoice, and this is our, my good friend, Paul Dean has recently reminded me that this rejoicing is singing out loud. Rejoice always. What do we do when we are disappointed? Sing. The ending of Habakkuk, after all the disappointment, what does he say? He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We need to intentionally, in that moment of disappointment, learn to sing aloud. I don't care if we have good voices or bad voices. This has nothing to do with how talented you are. Okay? This is learning the practice of coming to God and singing aloud in the midst of the deepest, darkest disappointment. Raising your hand. Physically doing something that will allow your spirit to be transformed. And I think we have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters in predominantly black churches because they've been rejoicing in the midst of persecution for generations. This is something that's so deeply embedded in their history and in their story. From the the persecution way before slavery, into slavery, into reconstruction, into the great, all of it, they have a vibrant, robust um, expression of rejoicing in the midst of some of the darkest, darkest um, pain in their lives. So we need to sing. And so I'm going to encourage us. We're about to sing in a few minutes. We're going to take communion. We're going to have some conversation. But I don't know what disappointment you have. But this is my encouragement. In the midst of that, sing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the God of your salvation doesn't mean he's going to solve all of our disappointments. It doesn't mean he's automatically going to line up our will with his will. But this is what allows us to, for him to meet us, to nourish us, to heal our wounds, to, be, uh, to affect the deepest parts of our lives where we want to either fight him or flee away from him. But this is a way that we can bring it directly to him. So when we experience disappointment, we can't fight. We can't flee. We need to face it head on. And it's when we do these things, when we, we put ourselves in a place where we can receive 
the love of God the Father. So I'm going to direct you to your tables again once more. And there's going to be three questions that I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer. The first question is, what areas of disappointment have been most prevalent for you this year? Secondly, what is your typical response in disappointment? Is it fight or is it flight? And for you, of these three practices, which is the Lord leading you to this week? In about eight or so minutes, I'll invite you back up here. We'll take communion and we'll dive into this practice together.